Um, so let's just talk for a minute. Thank you, Minister John. Um, I, I got a preamble because there's some things I'm going to say that are going to be a little bit difficult. I got I got some ground to cover um, that I've not covered before in any kind of message, and. Uh, I'm frankly kind of nervous, but because I'm in the house of an apostle, I feel a little confident that I can just lay truth out here, and if I get it wrong, that he'll clean up on aisle four. <laughs> yeah. so, so our title here is uh, God's Superman. He, he gave me the title, Men Leading the Way, but I'm a superhero kind of guy. Like, you know, like, it was always, I was always frustrated as a child when I read the comic books that there weren't any superheroes that looked like me. I was always mad because I said, I was like all of the black people in Africa and Tarzan is white. And I wasn't mad with you. You know, I wasn't mad, but I just wanted somebody. So, so I'm gonna tell you, I, I, I was like a Toys R Us kid when Black Panther came out, but that's a story for you today. What I, what I want to talk to you about is, from God's perspective, He's created you to be a superhero. Okay? You are created. You know, what, what do we like about those stories? We see a person that overcomes odds, overcomes obstacles, overcomes opposition to win, and to do it with courage, heroism, and valor. That's something so special. I just want you to know that that's not just something you have to pay $10 and go to the Cinemax to see. From heaven's perspective, you are that person. You are God's Superman. All right. Lead us light there. Let me just talk for a second. Being an engineer causes me to have a certain way of thinking about scripture. It's a little different. I just, my mind just thinks about it in a different way. That's kind of, it's sometimes it's quirky, sometimes it's just, and so I, I connect dots that other people just don't connect. It's just the way God wired me. You know, Jesus took fishermen and made them fishers of men. He took the way he created them and then caused that to be a part of his destiny for them. I remember something, and I'm, I'm on the message, just so you know, I'm not freewheeling here, watching my time. I remember in the early 2000s, I was working on what is now the Cadillac DTS. I, at that time, I was responsible for all, all of the electrical wiring um, for that vehicle. It was mine, really from cradle to grave. Like, I took that ball for nothing and got it all the way out to regular production with my team. I remember distinctly I had a meeting with my vehicle chief engineer, a really nice gentleman named Ed Zeller, who was a great mentor of my life. It was the early 2000s, but Ed explained to me that he was, that we as an industry were on the cusp of designing autonomous vehicles. At that time, we were installing certain technologies, and the technologies were building. So we were, we had night vision, we had lane departure warning, we had adaptive braking, and all you needed was to tie all of these things and make them work faster with the radar so you can see everything, you could adjust, make the turns for the people. You understand what I'm saying? And, and so in an engineering fashion, just like a spiritual father was doing, he was standing at the edge of a mountain, seeing something and prophesying to the future. Amen. And calling to the engineering team and telling us we got to go out and create. Yeah. That's why I like engineering, because there's a part of it that's just like God. That was in the early 2000s, and um, all of the technologies are almost there. There's cars on San Francisco that cars are driving, making all the left-hand turns. Left-hand turns is a 
you know, you do it because you fearfully and wonderfully made, but for your car to do it without you, I mean, you got to work on that. <laughs> and we talked about it. I mean, like, like you, you, you are the best supercomputer there is. God made you that way. All right. But the technology is continuing to progress. We've knocked down enough problems that we're at the edge. Okay? There are three types of revelation. Show that slide there. There are three types of revelation that, that God deals with me on. The first is what I call deductive revelation. The second is inductive. And the third is adductive. Let's talk about that. A deductive revelation. Let me give you an example. Scripture tells us clearly God promised Abraham and he blessed him. Gave him promises, he blessed him. Abraham believed. Then it tells us that Christ has redeemed us who originally were Gentiles, that the blessing of Abraham that was on him could come on, on us. That's fine. That's fine. So if Abraham was rich, I don't have to be poor. I deduce that. And I'm very confident about that because I understand how I walk that down. You can't convince me otherwise. Now, rich is abundantly supplied for your assignment. If you make it a Hot Wheels car, you don't need as much money as if you were making a Hummer. Okay. Right. You got it? Yes. It's the size of your assignment. Okay? But for whatever God has called you to do, I know that based on how I've deduced that revelation, I can believe God for what He's called me to do. And right. Dr. Revelation is different. It's it's not that you did this and then this and then this. It's like you're looking at a scripture and then what happens when you induce labor? That means the body isn't, the baby isn't moving and you're pushing something in there. But you spend time with God and God will talk to you about stuff that's not exactly on the page. Go to the next slide. So I was meditating about the birth of Jesus and I was looking at the Matthew, Matthew 1 genealogy, which is different from the Luke 3 genealogy. The Matthew genealogy goes from Joseph all the way back to Abraham through David, and then the other one goes all the way back to Adam. And so I induced in that, and it's been some time studying it, that it starts off different because it tells you the name of Mary's father. Now that makes sense because on the mother's side he goes all the way back to Adam. Right? And then I had an inductive revelation and it was this. That every marriage is a tale of four fathers. The father of the wife, the father of the husband, the husband as a father, and the heavenly father. In every marriage. The impact of four fathers is there. And if those, any of those goes wrong, then the father of the devil would try to interrupt and destroy what God planned. Now for me, that was a profound thought. It just made me, I just looked at those scriptures and it was like, Lord, there's something there that you want me to see. What is it? That's an inductive revelation. An abductive revelation is different. It's where you're here and you're in front of God, and he's opening up the word to you, and then all of a sudden, it's like he grabs you and takes you someplace you had no plan to go, because that's what an abduction is. Sometimes you get in the word, and you thinking, I'm going to go here, and then God, ever had God zag on you? You thought you were zigging, and he zagged, you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. And so... When I got the theme in the theme scripture, like God really zagged on me today. And uh, took me someplace I wasn't planning on going. And so I wanted to make sure I talked about this in this way because I don't want you to turn me off in the middle. 
and not hear me out. Does that make sense? Yes. I want y'all to think I'm I'm hating you and I'm hating and all of that. I'm just I'm just here to tell you I was given a thing by my father. I was given a scripture by my father, and I decided to go with it. And all of a sudden, I was abducted <laughs> and taken someplace I hadn't planned on going. Turn to um, Romans 8, 12 through 22. I'll have it on the screen there. Hopefully I did get it right. Romans 8, 12 through 22. Verse 14 was the one he gave me. And then we'll, we'll go to there. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Well, hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. We're going to read verses 12 through 22. I'm getting time to get loud. Keep going. Therefore, brother, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of your body, you will live. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. That was our key verse. Many as are led by the Spirit are the sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God, and the children and heirs, heirs of God, and join heirs with Christ. If indeed we suffer with him, that we may be glorified, also glorified together. For I consider the sufferings of this present time is not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed. For the earnest expectation of the creation are eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of God. Creation is waiting for you, right. Superman. Up in the sky, it's a bird is playing. Somebody is sitting out with that signal right now. The Bible says all creation is waiting for you to manifest as the Superman God created you. Verse 20, for the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. Because the creation itself also will be delivered. Destiny generation, we've been talking about deliverance. Creation gets delivered when we get to our full level of manifestation. Now what that said? That's a, that's a, that's just like us sitting at the edge of watching autonomous vehicles and seeing them and saying, man, if we can just get here, then we'll be able to tie it all together and everything becomes the domino to move us forward into a place we've never gone before. Yes. Yes. Creation itself will be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. We know that the whole creation groans and labors with birth pains together until now. All of creation is waiting for you to emerge to be the superman that God made you to be. That's a huge statement. That's huge. All right, the next scripture there is Genesis 10 and verse 1. Genesis 10 verse 1. And it says, just this one verse. Now, this is the genealogies of the sons of Noah, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. And the sons and sons were born to them after the flood. Let's talk about this for a minute. I believe that world history is a treatise on leadership. What I have found in my own study was that in the providence and plan of God, he has given each of Noah's sons a kick at the can. Each one of the sons has had a chance to lead. Let's look at this. If I was going, I'm going to read Genesis 10, 6 through 20. If I was going to title this section of my message, it would be entitled, When Black People Rule the World. I know history books have been whitewashed, or they won't say it exactly that way, but that's really what happened. And the Bible was very clear, even though men, for all kinds of reasons, changed the narrative, the scripture still holds true, because it's truth. 
He won't lie to nobody. Alright? Let's look at uh, Genesis 10, 6-20. And it says, The sons of Ham were Cush, Mizraim, Put, and Canaan. The sons of Cush were Seba, Havilah, Sabtah, Ramatah, Sabtekah, and the sons of Ramah were Sheba and Dedan. Cush began Nimrod. He began to be a mighty one on the earth. He was a mighty hunter before the Lord. Therefore, it is said, like Nimrod, the mighty hunter before the Lord. Isn't it interesting that now we use his name to mean somebody that's an imbecile? Nimrod. Have you heard that? That's the misuse of the name. Okay. All right, you get your own revelation. I'm just going, I'm just letting God abduct me and take me where he wants to take me, all right? And the beginning of his kingdom, his kingdom, the beginning of his kingdom was Babel. When he was at Babel, everybody was at Babel. Y'all, y'all here with me? The whole world was in one place. If you go on to the next chapter. Erech, Akkad, and Calvin, the land of Shinar. From that land, he went to Assyria and built Nineveh, Rehoboth, Ir, Kala, and Rezin between Nineveh and Kala. That is the principal city. Mizraim, which is Egypt, begot Ludim, Adonim, Lahabim, Naphtuhim. I try to pronounce them all, I really do. Pathrushim, Kasluhim, from whom came the Philistines and the Kaphtorim. Canaan began. Sidon is firstborn in heaven, the Jebusite, the Amorite, the Gergeshite, the Hivite, the Archite, the Sinai, the Alvadite, the Zimmerite, the Hamathite, the Lion, I like to say, and the Mosquito Bite. <laughs> Afterwards, the family of the Canaanites were dispersed, and the border of the Canaan Canaanites was from Sidon as you go toward Gerar, as far as Gaza. Then as you go toward Sodom, Gomorrah, Admon, Zeboam, as far as Lasha. These were the sons of Ham, according to their families, according to their lands, their languages, and their lands, and their nations. So the first global rulers were the sons of Ham, Nimrod, Canaan, Egypt. If you read closely, while the, while the sons of Japheth and Shem at that time were families, Ham had kingdoms. He had kingdoms. Got it? Um, and some kingdoms were city-states. Rome was a city, but it was a country at the same time. A city-state. Egypt was a nation-state with multiple metropolises in it. Okay. In Joseph's day, the black pharaoh loved Joseph and the children of Israel and gave them prime real estate, Goshen, in honor of Joseph's service to Pharaoh and the nation. But things changed. Let's look at it. Let's look at Exodus 1, 7 through 20. You got to go through here. I'm just going where God taking me. Okay, just walk with me. I'm not going to leave you someplace crazy. But I need to finish, so I'm going to keep it moving, all right? But the children of Israel were fruitful and increased abundantly, multiplied and grew exceedingly mighty, and the land was filled with them. Now there arose a new king over Egypt who did not know Joseph. And he said to his people, Look, the people of the children of Israel are more and mightier than we. Come, let us deal shrewdly with them, lest they multiply and inhabit in the event of war, that they also join our enemies and fight against us, and so go up out of the land. Therefore they set taskmasters over them to afflict them with their burdens, and they built for Pharaoh supply cities, Python and Ramses. But the more they afflicted them, the more they multiplied and grew, and they were in dread of the children of Israel. So the Egyptians made the children of Israel serve with rigor, and they made their lives bitter with hard bondage, mortar and brick, and all manner of service in the field. All their service in which they made them serve was with rigor. And then verse 15 through 20 says, Pharaoh introduced what I call partial birth abortion. Said if the baby midwife is halfway born, halfway born, you got to get him halfway out before you see whether it's a boy or a girl. And it's a boy, you kill him. Conversation today. 
But it's still truth, isn't it? So, the, the midwives, it says, turned against them and God blessed them because they didn't obey an unrighteous law. Right. Right. position. By Moses' day, they had turned Goshen into a ghetto and they tried to make Egypt great again. They had an immigration issue where the minority was becoming the majority and they were quite concerned about it. If uh, my subtitle for this part is in defense of white people. And when I wrote it down, what the Lord said to me is, don't hate the player, hate the game. That's right. Because when black people ruled, they were trying to do the same thing to the minority that's being done to them now that they are the minority. It's quite natural. You can't, you can't, like, the demographics in this country are shifting. The math is there. A lot of our, what we're seeing, taking our political sphere, is just the politics of demographics changing. And the minority and the majority concerned that they're about to be the minority. And they're reacting. But when Shem was in charge, when Ham was in charge, he did the same thing. And just so that I'm, I'm equal opportunity, let's talk about the black Hebrew Israelite doctrine, which is a bunch of baloney. Pastor. Okay. See, see. And we're going to have to come out and deal with real truth because yes. we're dealing with this in, a, in, in the community in the, in the public sphere we can't run away and hide from stuff hoping it's going to go away and get better on its own it won't God said to Pharaoh I raised you up so that I can show my power in you. The Exodus was the beginning of the shift of power from Ham to Shem. That shift continued, because remember, God told Abraham, you're gonna go down to serve a nation, be afflicted 400 years, that nation, I will judge. So God's judgment, the destruction of Egypt was a judgment from God in favor of a minority against a majority. Because God judged that the majority was wrong. Just because you got enough votes to do it doesn't make it right. because you got enough votes to make it pass does it make it right and and it opens you up for judgment and the judgment included reparations don't shout me down when I'm preaching here your bible says he brought them out with silver and gold and there was no sick or feeble among them You're not going to get it going to Washington. You're going to have to go to heaven to get your reparations. I'm just going to tell you that. But don't say it's not biblical. After Joshua, so Moses brought them out. They went through the wilderness. The thing that God had prophesied of Abraham, that he would give his descendants the land, Joshua brought them in. And then the shift began to take in earnest. They had their up days and down days because of sin, but by David's day, man, 
Shem was the powerhouse now. By Solomon's day, men, kings from all over the world came. Jerusalem was the Washington, D.C. of its day. Every king that was anything wanted to have an audience. Every ambassador from all over the planet sent their embassies and tried to set them up in Jerusalem. But again, sin stopped their dominance and began a slide to the point where though Shem was dominant with David and Solomon, they began to lose initially to other Semites, but then it shifted and then God showed Ham that showed that Shem was no longer going to be dominant. The Lord prophesied through Daniel that Jacob's turn was coming. Let's look at it. Look at Lamentations 4. I'm going to read verses 11 through 13. Do you feel like I'm abducting you and taking you someplace you wouldn't quite prepare for? I'm okay. Don't worry. I'm going to bring you home. Pastor going to bring you home. Take that. It's pastor going to bring you home. Okay. Lamentations 4, 11-13. The Lord has fulfilled his fury. He has poured out his fierce anger. He kindled a fire in Zion and has devoured the foundations. The kings of the earth and all the inhabitants, all the inhabitants of the world would not have believed that the adversary and the enemy could enter the gates of Jerusalem because of the sin of her prophets and the iniquities of her priests who shed in her midst the blood of the just. So then, the shift began. The prophets say, God, y'all going to have to do better. Y'all got to do better. God sent a lot of prophets. Prophets was mistreated. Then, after a while, the prophecy stopped saying, if you don't, you will. Then the prophecy said, you going. Ain't no turning around. Like somebody said in Jeremiah, the weeping prophet. And they had to watch as their people were enslaved because they didn't listen. And then they had to go with slavery with them. But they were enslaved to other Semites, Chaldeans, Babylonians. Then in Daniel chapter 2, Nebuchadnezzar has a king, has a dream. We'll speed up. From 36, verse chapter 2, verse 36 to 42. And God tells him, You are this king, and after you is going to be this one, and after you is going to be this one. And then he begins to see the transition to the Greco-Roman Empire. God gave the prophecy or the dream to Nebuchadnezzar, but the interpretation to Daniel. And Daniel called God's shot in advance. So much so that when Alexander the Great came across the Holy Land and was destroying everything in his wake, he had a dream about the high priest. Now this is Josephus, the historian. He had a dream about a person in a high priestly garment, saw the guy in the temple at Jerusalem, and that guy pointed in the Bible to the book of Daniel, said, this is you, and he did not destroy Jerusalem. Wow. God called his shot. And he showed that they were going to be weaker and stronger, but then he showed the strength of the Roman Empire. And he showed the empire that would come next, and after that, it would not be as strong. He said it was partially, partially iron, partially clay. Anybody read that one too? Remember what I'm talking about? That there would be some strong points and some weak points. So here we are, by Christ's time, Japheth is dominant. And the Roman Empire is so dominant that no other empire since has had the level of dominance that they have on the planet. 
to the point that all of their descendants are all trying to get back there. That's why the Roman emperors are called Tsar, C-Z-A-R, for Caesar. Hitler called it the Third Reich, another reign of the Roman Empire. This is just history. The problem is, Ham had his shot and failed. Shem had his shot. He failed too. Japheth is still in his shot. But he's still going to fail. He's failing right now. There was strength. I mean, think about the, the country that started democracy, Greece. Can't even pay its bills. You can go there and look at the ruins and they'll tell you all of the stuff, but they're still being bailed out by the Germans. Yes, I, I thought I was just going to have a church service. No, no, no. I want you to think. Because you are God's superman. We, I, I'm not off task. And so, whoever wins, whoever wins, writes the history books in their favor. But it's about uh, Custer's battle. <laughs> When the white man wins, it's a great victory. When the Indians win, it's a massacre. Whoever writes, whoever wins, writes the history in their favor. Yes. It's the reason that Napoleon went into Egypt, took cannonballs, and knocked the noses off the Sphinx because he didn't want he didn't want to remember a time when people that looked like him were subservient to people that looked like him with my big nose. Okay. Now, then that the truth is systematically wiped out of our educational institutions and locked in museums in Europe, including the Vatican, where they protect African heritage from African people. But that's a story for a different day. And then the people that are now the minority, who used to be the majority, always want to get back to where they used to be. That's why with Jesus. Was, um, was about after he had resurrected from the grave, what was the questions that the apostle asked him in Acts chapter 1? Is it time for you to make Israel great again? Isn't that what they said? Are you about to restore the kingdom to Israel? What were they asking? They were saying, man, we remember when David, we remember all of the stories about how we were the ones on top. Are you going to restore the kingdom, Jesus? <laughs> Jesus was like, pump your brakes, bro. I have a kingdom to restore to you. But it's not that one. That's right. And then he said, but you're going to receive a power so that you can be a witness of another kingdom yes. to the uttermost parts of the earth. Yes. Amen. Pastor, what am I waiting? You took us a long way around. Where are we going with this? We got to think through what's happening in the nationalistic tendencies in our country. I'm not angry, really. This, this message is not about anger. What's happening with the majority culture is natural. My problem is with the church because it's not supernatural. It's quite natural. That's why I can't be angry. I'm not, I'm not angry with people who are angry with me. But when I get to, when I go and see church people doing unchurchy things and mixing God in their political persuasion when it's just them and them protecting privilege, then I got a problem. Amen. Why is this so important, Pastor? Because either we're going to identify with the nations 
or we're going to identify with the holy nation, the kingdom of God, the royal priesthood. Either our citizenship is going to be red, white, blue, or our citizenship is going to be above. You're going to have to make a choice. Why is that important? Because Jesus said in the last days, one of the signs would be nation would rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. The word their nation is, is not is not a country or a government. That's the word for kingdom. It's the word ethnos. He says ethnic groups are going to be against one another. But in that same time that the ethnic groups are going to be against each other, the gospel of a kingdom beyond those ethnic groups is going to be preached to the ends of the world for a witness before the end comes. In the scriptures in the book of 1 Corinthians 15, it says, 24 to 26, it says that Christ must reign until his enemies be made his footstool. The last enemy is death. So what's supposed to happen? Well, the sons of Ham have had their shot. The sons of Jacob have had their shot. Sons of Ham, then the sons of Shem, and the sons of Jacob. Who's left? The sons of God. The earth is waiting for the manifestation, not of the sons of Ham, not black power, not of the sons of Shem, not of the sons of Japheth, not white privilege. They're waiting for the sons of God. They're waiting for the sons of God. And so we're going to have to be able to reach beyond this and be one kingdom people. If we can reach beyond and are one kingdom people, then see, Pastor, why are you preaching this way? Because just like my chief engineer saw where we were going and knew that there were certain certain things, certain technology, certain battles we have to fight, certain certain, certain problems we have to solve. We're going to have to solve this racism issue. Not in the world, in the church. We can't hide behind it. We, we, we can't hide behind singing God bless America at our rallies. thinking we're going to escape judgment. I'm going to have to call out the black Israel, Hebrew Israelite. God's going to hold me accountable for that. I got to, I'm going to have to tell them that they're wrong. And I'm going to have to tell them, I don't care what you say, if, if this white brother is really blood washed and serving and living God, he is more my brother than you are. I'm going to have to say that. But hold up. Then, those people that say, hey, the Confederate flag is just history. Heritage. Who are upset because some people don't want to stand for the bars and stripes the red, white, and blue. I, I tell you people, make it make sense. Okay, if you're upset about this one, you should certainly be upset about that one. That was a flag of an insurrection that failed. We should, we should call that flag treason. So you're going to have to tell some of your buddies that they're wrong. And so that we can come and really be kingdom. Because Ham, Shem, and let me tell you, Jacob too, are all going to fail. Only the sons of God are going to bring creation to fruition. We are the last great superpower. 
a holy nation. Yes. It's you and me, but we got to do it together. Yes, right. We have to be the people where there is no Jew or Greek, no male or female, no bonds free. Yes. All in Christ are one. Yes. And one in Christ is all. Now, this isn't the only enemy we're going to have to fight with. This one's a big one. This one's sitting up here right in the light. Satan it can't come down in our generation. But listen, we didn't know how we were going to knock down all of the technologies to get us to the point where cars can drive themselves. And we just about to have cars without even steering wheels in them. You ain't even going to take control back. It's not going to be something you can't even take control back. We, we, we at the edge of a whole new sphere. What happens if the church rises in power and knocks down this enemy? It's not the last one. We, we're not going to get to the point of resurrection power if we can't get rid of racism. The last enemy is death. If we can't, if we can't get along with one another, we're not... We not do you understand what I'm saying? You gotta knock them down in order. We knew that there were certain things we had to have as a technology, and it had to be done at that level. But if we got all of these foundational things, then we can take it to the next level. That's what I'm telling you here. Alright, Pastor, you have done that. Okay, alright, alright, let me bring you down to the practice. I have, a, I have a graphic in there at the end, Minister, uh, Brother Tony. First of all, I just needed you to, I, I wanted to grab you and take you where God took me. All right. All right. I wasn't prepared for that when I got the scripture. I'm going to just tell you that. appreciate your engineering It's it's the one that starts with directions. It just it has a bunch of arrows and words in it. It should be about, I think it's my last, yeah, it's my last slide. All right. Now there's a lot here, but let me just walk you through. One day I'm going to get this graphic up. To, I know, Pastor, Apostle, I, I want to have nice, clean graphics. Keep working on it, keep working on it, but I'm knocking it down. There's a lot of information here. What do I want men to understand? This is the cycle of how, like my chief engineer who now is retired and I'm still fighting the next fight in the company. Got it? This is how we war in our generation. What he described, like, what he described saying, I'm at a generation, I'm looking who's behind me, who can keep going and then fight next level fights when I'm off the scene. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What's supposed to happen is every man is supposed to take as much ground as you can in your generation. You're supposed to, you're supposed to, have, you're supposed to clear out all the iniquity out of your family line. Whether, whether, the, whether, the, whether your family was womanizers and all of that, you're supposed to get all of that stuff done. You're supposed to break all of the chains that have passed. And then you're supposed to say, here's the new ground I'm going to take in my generation. And then you take as much ground as you can in your generation. Then you bring your brothers and your sons. Because I'm talking about Father's Day, so it's talking about from a father's perspective. And then a father brings his son, just like it's written in Proverbs. Son, listen to my law. Take my direction. You get directions from the father. And then the son, the Hebrew title for son, or the meaning for son is builder of the family name. So the son says, in my generation, my family name is going to be more than it was in my father's generation. You take the direction and then you make decisions that are wisdom-based, counsel-driven actions. If you take the counsel and begin to move in wisdom, then you begin to develop disciplines. Disciplines are simply enforced obedience. It's staying obedient 
after the thrill of deciding is gone and before the manifestation has happened. It's that meantime, in between time, that you need to keep your discipline. If you stay with your disciplines long enough, you will reach a destiny, which is a blessed outcome. Once you have reached a destiny, you will not only have an experience, but you will have an insight that you can then translate to other people, which is your doctrine. Doctrine is enriched, understanding-based, codified wisdom. I've walked this thing. <laughs> what did David say? I once was young, now I'm old. But I've never seen the righteous forsaken or his seed begging bread. See, that's a doctor, baby. He's like, listen, I got the t-shirts, the matching shoes, the socks, you know, the colored socks. Right? I got the cap, the ball cap, the jacket, the jersey. I know how that thing works. He got a doctor. Most people try to speak, but not, not everybody has earned the right to be heard. A person who has a destiny has a doctrine you need to listen to. If that doctrine can then be translated to the next generation, now we have a dynasty. What's supposed to happen is Can you stand here, Apostle? Should turn around. Yep, right there. What he's supposed to do is he's walking in the kingdom. He's taking ground. He goes as far and as hard and as fast as he can in his generation. And then one day, he gets to the end of his line. He's supposed to be able to turn around, look back at me, and see me. And then not only does he bequeath to me all the wisdom and all the grace, all the prophetic blessing, he lays his hands on me. I get the double portion because I see, serve, and submitted. And then I have more capability to go sit down to then walk it off. And then I'm supposed to go into a next generation empowerment. And then he's supposed to see. And the last mountain he sees is not for him. It's for his son. Then his dream becomes my vision. Holy Spirit, right? Acts 2. Young, the old men dream a dream. The young men see the vision. For him, that last mountain is a dream. Just like when I was talking to the chief engineer, he knew he wasn't going to be around for us to do our times, but he said, we almost there, David. We almost there. And then I do the same thing. Come here, John. Now it's my turn. All my fathers are going to heaven. Not yet in Jesus' name. I'm not rushing. I'm just playing out the cap. Now I take new ground that he saw but didn't get to. Remember, remember what um, Martin Luther King said? I've been to the mountaintop and I've seen over. I may not get there eventually, but I'm happy tonight. He knocked down as much ground. Then he starts what I'm off the scene with all the wisdom that I've accumulated. Yeah. It's all by grace. I've laid my hands on him, counseled him. I'm not there, but my words still live inside him. And he's taken hills and mountains that I've never taken. If we do that long enough, far enough, the last enemy will be left. One day there will be a generation that comes on the scene and says, the last thing for us to do is defeat death. What right. I want you to understand, and you are that kind of Superman, you're not trying to be it. It's not something that you gotta grow into. As many that are led by the Spirit of God, yeah. they are the sons of God. Yeah. You just have to be willing to step into the battles 
You just have to be willing to sit at the feet of proven mentors, fathers. You have to be willing to take the father's touch when you don't feel like you really want to be touched that way. I am preaching really good. <laughs> Some of them calls I'm not excited to take, but I still take them. Brother John, can you, can you give me a witness on that? Yeah, okay, all right. I just want somebody who understands how I feel. But if we do what God has called us to do, Come on, we will really knock down, we will really take kingdom ground. Yes. The world is waiting. Listen, stop going. Your protest politics is not going to produce the answer. They don't have it. You're appealing to the wrong government. Heaven's government is the one that got your answer. They don't have it. You're trying to demand something from somebody who can't give it to you. They don't got it. We are heaven's answers. Daniel said, Nebuchadnezzar, give me enough time. I'm going to go see God. You need an answer. He didn't go to them looking for an answer. He said, I, I'm your answer. And before he had it, he came in confident like, I got the answer. He wasn't running, ducking, and dodging, hoping they didn't look him in the eye. He wasn't hiding. He knew that God would speak to him. And that God would speak through him. You got to know in your generation that's you. God will do it for you. Man, come on, let's lead. Let's step into the situation. Let's be bold. Let's be courageous. Let's face down problems that our fathers didn't fix. Let's break the pattern so we can be the pattern. fight the fight. Because yes. if we do it right, there's a generation that will rise up and they'll take hills that we can't even dream of today. Amen. God bless you. I pray you a blessed